The value of investments can fall as well as rise and losses may be made. This is not a buy, sell or hold recommendation for any particular security. Today we're going to talk about the currency markets and not the usual currency markets that you'll hear on my podcasts uh, almost on a daily basis, the euro dollar and the dollar against the rand and all those sort of things. This one is the yen against the euro. I received a piece from the desk of Ian Cunningham, who's head of multi-asset growth at 91. And Ian, before we get into the semantics, the details of this, what prompted this piece that you kindly sent me? Hi, Lindsay. Um, so I think when we, when we think about currencies, I mean, we use currency and asset class to seek to generate returns. So we sort of don't view currency as something that is a byproduct of investments we make around the world. We're actively seeking opportunity. And what we focus for in major currencies is we focus for prospective policy divergence or convergence because we think that's what drives the big moves in major currency markets. So when you've got one central bank effectively heading in the opposite direction to another major central bank, that, that can be when you tend to get quite notable moves in, in currencies on a, on a forward-looking basis. Okay, now we've got to get uh, specific with the yen against the euro. Can you give us a sort of a potted history of its recent movements? Yes, I think when you look back across the last couple of years, so if you go back uh, roughly two years ago, you had a situation where policy was very easy around the world. Um, So you had either negative or very low interest rates, and and actually you had central banks were still printing money a couple of years ago. And if we think about the evolution since then, what we've seen in Japan is effectively, because Japan has sort of uh, structural challenges uh, in relation to deflationary pressures from demographics and the like, and quite high levels of of government leverage, um, Japan's actually remained very accommodative in terms of its, its policy. It was later to see sort of an inflationary impulse. So it didn't really have to move to fight inflation. And what you saw was the Bank of Japan actually maintained very accommodative policy up until pretty recently, where they've sort of been gradually edging away in terms of uh, adjusting yield curve control and gradually diminishing the impact of that on markets. But, But in general, Japan's sort of had pretty easy policy for the last couple of years. Then when you think about what's happened in Europe and in the US, you've obviously seen a movement from exceptionally easy policy to the end of quantitative easing, the movement towards rate hikes, and then actual quantitative tightening taking place. So you've seen central banks do a 180 in the developed world across uh, US and Europe. And then as you move into other parts of the world, and particularly Japan, um, what we've seen is, is policy effectively remain very loose. So you've seen significant divergence in in policy, um, which has driven a considerable weakening of the the yen um, as capital has flown towards uh, countries where there's much higher interest rates. Let's have a look at Japan very briefly. In my simple way, I say that a weekend is good for what is an export-led economy in Japan. Mm, no, it's certainly been it's certainly been very good for. Um, domestic growth within Japan in terms of a weaker currency. But one of the challenges in Japan is it's had a population that hasn't really been used to price increases for for some time. Um, And what we started to see as a function of a a weak yen, as a function of sort of some other areas of pricing pressure, we're sort of seeing the population get to the point where there's so much aging that there's starting to become um, risks of labor shortages, which is pushing wages up and therefore having an effect on prices. and we've seen the consequence of what happens when you get price rises in, in other parts of the world. It tends to lead to sort of concerns, disruptions, cost of living crises, those sorts of things. And so we actually have some inflationary impulse in Japan now. 
um, so inflation sort of moved up north of targets and has been there for a little while now. Um, and what you're seeing is, is the Bank of Japan's slowly moving away from uh, exceptionally easy policy. We think they want to tighten policy. They want to remove negative interest rates because they see this as their opportunity to do so. Um, we wouldn't say we don't expect a material hiking cycle from Japan, but effectively they're, they're likely to continue to incrementally edge away from very, very easy policy. There's a very telling sentence right at the beginning of your piece, and it says over the next 12 to 8 months, we see policy convergence rather than divergence in the offing. Obviously, different central banks will start off and get a head start ahead of others. But over a few year period, they more or less will go in the same direction. Is that your contention? Yes, we're basically saying that we think the Bank of Japan will continue to edge away from very easy monetary policy. And then particularly when we look at monetary policy in the Eurozone, we think it's in the wrong place right now. So if we go back 18 months ago, we had the ECB had a deposit rate of minus 0.5. They were printing lots of money. They had real GDP growth of four and a half and they had inflation of high single figures, which placed nominal growth in the teens with a negative deposit rate. So policy at that point was very much in the wrong place. Then we've seen a big tightening cycle. We've seen big quantitative tightening in the Eurozone. We now see inflation on a short-term basis is annualizing in the very low single figures, so sort of about 1% on a three-month annualized basis. And real GDP growth is zero to slightly negative, and the deposit rate is at four. So what we're saying is the ECB appears to now be in a position where policy is, is far too tight relative to prevailing fundamentals. And as a result, we see the ECB having to converge policy down onto where the Bank of Japan is. So we see quite a notable cutting cycle likely coming through over the next 12 to 18 months. And that convergence, in effect, should place downward pressure on the euro versus the, the yen. So basically the opposite to what we've seen in, in recent years. Yes, I noticed there was a bit of talk um, just before the end of 2023 that the ECB were going to be the ones that would break ranks and cut interest rates first. Um, I noticed, for example, the German regional, they split it up into regions when the inflation figures came out this morning. And they're still uh, pretty up there, two and a half, three percent in the big areas. But you see that coming down, do you? I mean, the interesting thing is when you look at inflation statistics is that they're year on year. Yeah. So what you see is actually a lot of the what's currently in the in in prices is is the growth that was taking place, say, uh, eight, nine, ten months ago. Whereas when you look at the actual evolution of pricing in the last few months, you're actually seeing exceptionally low inflation pressure. And in some places, you're actually seeing uh deflationary pressure. So we would say as as those previous numbers from 8, 9, 10, 11 months wash out, um, you should see those year on year numbers come down pretty, pretty quickly. Yes, I just want to reiterate what you've said. Uh, Europe will be compelled to ease and Japan to tighten. That's the big play. Now that's uh, the yen appreciating against the euro. How do you play this, though? If you give this to the average investor, and our target is not the average investor, but if you look at it, you don't normally think about playing the euro-yen. How do you use it? As an outright play, or do you use it in conjunction with other strategies? Uh, so we, I mean, ultimately, we typically have uh, positions in, in a number of different currencies at any point in time. This is our largest currency position at the moment, and it would be implemented in portfolios through currency forwards. So effectively, uh, using derivative uh, markets to to ultimately buy yen and sell euros um, in forward contracts. Is there anything that could scupper your theory, this synopsis that you've put forward? Because Japan can be uh, notoriously stubborn when it comes to policy making. 
Mm. We'd say the predominant driver of this is going to sit outside of Japan. So if you think about what we'd say is if the ECB go into an easing cycle, they're going to be cutting um, in the percentage points of, of interest rate cuts. Bank of Japan, if the Bank of Japan tighten further, we're talking probably a couple of, of modest modest hikes. Um, we've got to remember Japan's got considerable amounts of government debts. There's a point where you can't take interest rates that high in Japan because then you have a bit of a problem um, in terms of financing all that leverage at the government level. Um, so we'd say modest tightening cycle in Japan, but most of the movement is going to come from Europe. And obviously the things that could scupper that thesis, because obviously there's always downside or alternate scenarios in, in any position. If we see a shock to the global economy, which provides material upward pressure on inflation, that would would naturally lead the ECB to be more cautious in, in easing. And if for some reason we see actually the European economy begin to re-accelerate from a growth perspective, then that would obviously uh, reduce the likelihood that the ECB would need to, to ease notably. I think when we when we think about where we are, though, with regard to nominal growth being exceptionally low in Europe and, and policy only just sort of peaked in terms of tightness about six months ago, there's still quite a lot of that tightening to feed through. So we would sort of propose that, that while the market and consensus is saying Europe should recover somewhat from here, we would say actually headwinds will remain for, for a little while to come and the ECB sort of underestimating what they, they will likely need to do over the next six to 12 months. In the main, this podcast will probably go out after the US Federal Reserve meeting's decision uh, on this day, this Wednesday, the last day of uh, January. And also we've got the Bank of England out uh, the next day, the 1st of February. Do you think there's going to be any surprises there with those two central banks? I think with regard to those specific central banks, we would say they're sort of in the process of having tightened policy quite considerably and they're sort of waiting to see the effect. So the next moves from both those central banks will likely be to to ease policy. The big question is is when. It's not going to be happening imminently, as in, in the next one or two months. But if we see ongoing progress made in inflation, then that will open the door for these uh, central banks to actually take their next step and begin to, to moderate the, the tightness of policy. And finally, going back to the uh, yen-euro cross, um, you just summed it up quite nicely. Uh, with the prospect of policy convergence, we're going to be long the yen versus the euro in portfolios. Ian, thank you very much for your time. That's Ian Cunningham, who's Head of Multi-Asset Growth at 91. This podcast is a marketing communication and is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views of this podcast are those of contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of 91. In South Africa, 91 is an authorised financial services provider.